We're starting a new series on heroes. And the idea is, we love the idea of heroes. Like, we love the idea of heroes. We watch movies about heroes. We read books about heroes. We wear shirts with our favorite heroes on them. We sing songs about heroes. We love this idea of heroes. So I thought we'd start with a little game, because I know what you're thinking. I'm like, when you got up this morning, you're like, I really hope there's an interactive piece in the sermon that I'll respond to. And I really, I just want to meet your need. That's it. Like that's, I'm just doing this for you. So I'm going to read you some song lyrics. I just, who, who, who's this song by? What's the song? Who's it by? All right. What's the song? Who's it by? Don't raise your hand. I'll never see it. The lights are bright. Just, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. Have, if you're watching home, Quaker Town, have fun. Let's do this. Okay. First song. And then a hero comes along with the strength to carry on. And you cast your fears aside and you know you can survive. Mariah Carey, that's right, hero. Look inside you and be strong, and then you'll finally see the truth that a hero lies in you. Terrible advice, but great song, famous song. All right, next song. There goes my hero. Watch him as he goes. That's right, Foo Fighters. There goes my hero. He's ordinary. And I'll be honest, I've heard that song for a long time, and I had no idea that last word was ordinary. I had no idea what Dave Grohl was singing. Okay, last one. Isn't there a white knight upon a fiery steed? Late at night, I toss and turn, and I dream of what I need. I need a hero. Bonnie Tyler, I'm holding out for a hero to the end of the night. I feel like I have to be like doing this or something while I'm saying that. Um, there's no, ch- I like you all too much to pre- even like, no, I'm not even going to pretend to sing that. We love the idea of heroes. It resonates with us. We're, we're drawn to that. I mean, we all have heroes. We all have, and we have people we look to, people who inspire us, people whose achievements we respect and whose actions we celebrate. Our heroes are celebrities or athletes or artists or business leaders or even fictional characters or, or people who've sacrificed for the sake of others. We look to heroes because of who they are and what they've done. Because what do heroes do? Heroes endure. Heroes overcome. Heroes sacrifice. We have baked into us a need for heroes because we like the idea of being able to rise above our surroundings, right? Or of standing up for something important or of banding together with other like-minded beings to defeat an intergalactic villain bent on eradicating 50% of all life in the known universe. That's the plot of Avengers, that last one. One psychologist describes it like this. Our heroes are symbols for us of all the qualities we would like to possess and all the ambitions we would like to satisfy. Another another scholar defines heroes as people who perform intentional action in service to others in need or to humanity by defending a moral cause, aware of potential risks and personal costs. We value this idea of heroes. That resonates with us. We're drawn to it. And so we're going to, in this series, look at some people that we'd consider to be heroes of the Bible. We're looking at some people who we would hold up as, as heroes. And we're going to start with this guy named Abraham. We're going to start with this guy named Abraham. If you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to Genesis 20. 
right? Abraham is a guy that, that God called to leave his homeland, to leave his home in, Gen- in Genesis 12. He called him to, to be his people and he made these big promises to Abraham. In fact, he made very specific kind of promises called a covenantal promise, right? Uh, which is like a legally binding promise where God said to him, I will be your God. I will care for you. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless all peoples on the earth through you, which is a massive promise. Because back in this time, back in the day, the idea of legacy, of your, you continuing on through your descendants was a huge deal. And so God is saying, your impact will be felt everywhere. Abraham's held up as this paragon of faith, as this example of a godly man throughout the Bible, even in the, on into the, the New Testament. In Judaism, he's one of the, the fathers of faith. We're going to look at Genesis 20 about what Abraham was, was like. We're going to engage in that a little bit and try and better understand this idea of heroes. Now, Genesis 20 picks up after Abraham has had this terrible encounter in, in, in the city of Sodom, in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. And t- verse t- uh, 1 picks up with saying Abraham moved on from there, from where he was, into the region of the Negev, and he st- stopped for a while in this area of Gerar, which is uh, going to be Philistine country. And there he says to his wife, Sarah, let's tell people you're my sister, okay? Let's tell people you're my sister because like I, you're beautiful and I would like to really not be killed here, okay? So they come across Abimelech, who's the king of Gerar, and he sees Sarah and he takes Sarah with him to kind of join his harem, to, to be part of his, one of his concubines, but it says, God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She's a married woman. Now, Abimelech is going, what, like the text tells us in verse four, he hadn't gone near her. And that's, that's really, we're, that's like a wink, like we're like, he hadn't gone near her, right? Like that's not just like he hadn't walked in her proximity. That's like everyone had clothes on all of the time. It's kind of the gist of that, right? Nothing, nothing funny had happened. And he's talking to God in this dream and says, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I've done this with a clean conscience and clean hands. Then God says to Abimelech in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I've kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. So we have this encounter, right? Abraham tries to pass Sarah off as his sister because his fear is she's so beautiful, they will, they will want, the powerful people will want her and they'll just kill me and take her. But Abimelech does take her, but then God intercedes in this dream and says, dude, no, 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 not okay, not cool. And Abimelech is rightly frustrated going, well, what's up with that? You guys, you lied to me. You lied to me. And that lie had significant implications for, for Abimelech. God tells him, you will give her back or you're going to die. But I thought Abraham was a hero. We're going to look at three things from this text as we continue this story. Three things that we're going to draw out that will help us better understand kind of our hearts and our attitude towards heroes and what God is trying to teach us through this. And the first thing is this. We're going to look at the flaw revealed. All right, the flaw revealed. There's a flaw. We got a big flaw here. Abraham was deceitful. Abraham was deceitful here. He straight up deceived Abimelech on purpose. And they had a plan, like this was on purpose. He lied because he was fearful. 
Now, there's not, not completely unreasonable fear of death for him, right? But that fear caused him to doubt God's protection and God's faithfulness. God had made these big promises to him, right? Can God fulfill those promises to Abraham if he's dead already? No. But as happens to us, fear creeps in. Fear leads to doubt and doubt and fear feed on each other and they grow. And that caused Abraham's view of God to diminish and his view of himself to increase. He started to take into his own hands what God had said, hey, I will protect you. I will care for you. And Abraham started to go, man, I, I, gotta, I, I hear that, God, but I'm going to make some of my own plans like just in case this doesn't work out. But remember, God had made huge, gigantic, great promises to Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 13 and Genesis 15 and Genesis 17 and Genesis 18. And a lot of the chapters that came before this one, that's a lot of big promises that God will bless him and make his name great and make him a father of many nations and make his descendants as numerous as the stars. And Abraham takes matters into his own hands and he lies to protect himself. And really he throws Sarah under the bus because we don't see in this story really any concern for Sarah's well-being. It's as if Abraham's saying like, listen, if you got to go into sexual slavery, but I get to live, like that's a fair trade, right? Sure, I know you're cool with it. Thanks for doing that, sweetheart. You're great. And you know what the craziest part of this story is, at least for me? Like, I'm not an expert on marriage. I've been married a little 16, almost 16 years. I'm not an expert. Like, I, a lot I got to grow it. But I'm fairly confident. Uh, a safe rule of thumb is don't pass my wife off as my sister. She's not going to love that. The crazy thing is it's not even the first time he's done this. If we go back to Genesis 12, he's done this before. It says as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, her name at that point was Sarai, but it's, it's, this is who became Sarah. I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. He's literally done this before. As a, let's take a quick side note and give Sarah a shout out because Sarah must have been just staggeringly gorgeous for Abraham to fear men's response to her. She was in her 70s in Genesis 12. Still got it, Sarah. <laughs> if, I'm a history nerd. So, you know, Helen of Troy was considered the most beautiful woman in the world, and hers was the face that launched a thousand ships, but Sarah was a hottie well into her retirement years. In Genesis 20, she's in her 90s. The lesson to learn from here is hot desert air and clean living does a lot for you. <laughs> but this fear for Abraham even predates Genesis 12 because we see later on in Genesis 20 and verse 13, Abraham says, and when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to Sarah, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. This sin that had been not fully dealt with kept bubbling up its head in Abraham's life. This fear took control of him. And stories like this can be troubling for us because we can read something like this and think, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought Abraham was a good dude. Sunday school lied to me. Does this discredit Abraham? Should this overshadow all of the other things that he did? And if you're familiar with the Bible, you might wonder why we, why we know some of the massively huge mistakes of people like Abraham, Moses, and David. 
those guys are held up as examples of faith. I mean, that's troubling. We know these guys failed and failed spectacularly. So how can they be held up as examples of faith? Well, here's the reality. The deeper you dig into anyone's life, the uglier it gets. The reason we know so many of the failures of men like Abraham, Moses, and David is because we have the fullest pictures of their lives in the Bible. The more of the story you get of someone's life, the, uh, the uglier it gets. Because we're broken and we're imperfect and we're flawed and our hearts are selfish at our core and our first thought is for our needs and, and what do we want and what do we get out of this? There's an inherent fallibility to all our heroes because there is an inherent fallibility to us as humans. We're going to fall short. But we can struggle with that because we tend to romanticize and idealize heroes. Because frankly, we can be a little reductive in our thinking. We, can, we want to put people into buckets. Are you good or are you bad? Right? Are you good or are you bad? And we all want to do that. We'll write off relationships. We'll write off friends. We'll write off even family members when something bad happens. We'll just write them off. It's like, well, now I can't trust you. Now we're, now we're done. You must not be the good person I thought you were. But people can't be reduced to simply good or bad because human beings are nuanced, are complicated. We are complex beings. We are capable of great good, but also great evil towards each other. Russian writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn says, the line between good and evil runs through the heart of every man. We all have that capacity. But we want to label and identify, and so we want to sort people into buckets by being good or bad. Is Abraham good or bad? Yes. He's yes to those things. He's a deeply flawed, complex person whose worth is not found only in the good things that he did. His worth is found in the God who loves him. Because this is a pretty messed up situation. It's a pretty messed up situation here. Abraham is deeply flawed. He's deeply flawed. But the reality is, so are we. So are we. So when we feel let down by our heroes, when we feel let down by people we admire, we need to also look at ourselves and go, that same brokenness, that same capacity for failure resides in us as well. You see, the flaw revealed here, both in our heart towards heroes and in the hero himself. But the second thing that we're going to unpack is the idea that character is shown. Character is shown. This story goes on. Abimelech brings Abraham in and, and confronts him. Right? It's like his court is very afraid of, of what's going on, right? Abimelech tells him about his dream. I think that's fair, right? You meet with some people and you're like, hey, I had a dream where God spoke to me and like, trust me, I know it was God uh, and told me I'm going to die because of something I did that I didn't even know I was doing wrong. Like that's a legitimate thing to share and be afraid of, right? That's fair. And so he shares with his court and they're all terrified. And so Abimelech calls Abraham in and he says, dude, what's going on? Why did you do this to us? How have I wronged you? I love how he says this in verse 9. How have I wronged you that you brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? That's a fair question. Remember, Abimelech is a pagan king here. Abimelech is not a, a, 
a God follower. Abimelech is not a follower of Yahweh. He's a pagan king, but he's had an encounter with God and he's asking real questions. And he comes to Abraham, who's called a prophet of God. And he's like, what, what did you do this for? And Abraham explains to him, why well, I said to myself, surely there is no fear of God in this place and they'll kill me because of my wife. And this says in verse 12, besides, she really is my sister. Editorial note, ugh, dude. So daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she, it's like, that, that doesn't make it better. That's, I know culture is different. Like, I know it's, it's like, come on, please, okay. Yikes. He says, and when God made me wander from my father's household, like we talked about earlier, this is how you can show your love to me. Be my sister to, pro to protect my life. We see character revealed in this section, both of Abraham and Abimelech, because for Abraham, verses 11 and 12, his explanation, sort of his rebuttal to Abimelech, that shows Abraham engaging in speculation and, and in justification. He inferred and assumed and allowed that to change his approach to truth. He was afraid, and that fear impacted his faith in God, and, and instead of allowing his faith in God to impact and affect his fear, he was also just straight up dead wrong. Abimelech is the guy who looks good in this story. Abimelech was the one who acted with integrity, the one who acted with morality, and the one who respected God and his actions. Abraham was quick to justify. He had a legitimate fear, but he's trying to kind of rationalize his position. But his fear and ultimately his sin had significant implications for others, specifically for Abimelech and his household. In verse 18, we sort of see the results of what was happening. We don't see it in the story, but it's said at the end. Abraham prayed to God, right? Just like God told Abimelech, hey, ask Abraham to pray. Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his his female slaves, so they could have children again. For it says in 18, the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household for conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Those are pretty significant implications. That God had not only told Abimelech that he was gonna die, but God had ceased childbearing in the kingdom of Abimelech because of this incident. Verse 18 in Hebrew, it, it's this idea of shutting up the womb. It, it refers to infertility. By the way, as I was researching, several Hebrew scholars see the issue here being one of impotence. So you can understand Abimelech's frustration a little bit more there. When he's like, oh, okay, that's, maybe that's why he was so free. He's like, dude, why would you do this? It's like, okay, that, that hits differently now, understanding that. You can understand his frustration in the midst of this. And I think what's ironic here is we see their character revealed is that the one we would expect to be the hero turns out to be kind of a bad guy, and the one we expect to be kind of a bad guy turns out to be kind of a hero. That Abimelech does what God asks of him. He responds that way, right? He doesn't have, a, he doesn't have relations with Sarah. He respects what God has said. He comes back. He apologizes. He says to, to Abraham, my land is before you. Live wherever you'd like. He gives them sheep and cattle and thousand shekels of silver. He says, this is to cover my offense. I, I was not trying to do anything inappropriate, untoward. I didn't know. He's the one acting with character. And, and Abraham, the one we would expect to be this godly man, is the one who's lying and be de deceitful and kind of shading the truth. It's the character revealed here. And we, we do the same things. 
when we're pushed in a corner, right? when we're confronted with something we don't want to experience, when we're, we're dealing with doubt and fear, we can shade the truth. We can really have a casual relationship with truth because we want to protect ourselves. But what we see with Abraham is true of us, that our view of God diminishes. And suddenly it's harder to trust that he is who he says he is, that he'll do what he'll, he says he's going to do. And we see it's not just that we have flaws, but those flaws have seeped into who we are and have become part of the fabric of who we are, are part of our character. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Because the third thing we see here is that there's, we, we see a promise kept. Right? We see a promise kept. And what is that promise? Well, there's some really cool stuff here. There's some really cool stuff here. We see the the way this fits into the overarching kind of meta-narrative of Scripture through God keeping his promise, right? By God keeping Abimelech from sleeping with Sarah. In that action, what God was doing was preserving the promise he made to Abraham to bless the nations through him. He was preserving his promise to Abraham regarding the, the covenantal implications, right? Regarding the reality of the covenant he made with him and the promised child that he gave to Abraham. What do I mean by that? What happens in, ver- in chapter 21? Well, Isaac is born, right? The child of the promise is born. The child born to, to Abraham and Sarah in their old age is born, right? What if, what if Abimelech sleeps with Sarah here? We don't know whose child that is. But God intercedes in the story to protect his promise by keeping that from happening so that we know when the child is born, that child is Abraham's. That's the child of the promise. That's the child through which God is going to bless the nations. That is the child through which ultimately Jesus will come out of that line and be the fulfiller of that promise. I love that, that we see Jesus kind of foreshadowed in this moment. And we see God using an unlikely hero to accomplish Some pretty incredible things. Abimelech here, not Abraham, Abimelech is really the one who points us to Jesus here. Abimelech is the innocent party set up through no fault of his own. He's the one who chose righteousness and acting rightly despite the wrong perpetrated against him. He's the one who chose mercy instead of the judgment that was deserved for others. He's the one who does for others what they could never do for themselves. He's the one who pays the price for others despite not owing anything. He's the one who invites us in instead of rejecting us, right? Because what does Abimelech do? He makes it right. He takes on himself the responsibility of making this right. He acted innocently. He didn't know any different. He, he wasn't wrong here, but he took it on himself to make it right. He invited them into the land, said they could live wherever they want. He put them under his protection, And that's a picture of the gospel, of of what God has done for us through Jesus, that we're invited in, that we're the transgressors, and yet Jesus is the one who says, I will pay your penalty on your behalf. I will make it right for you, that we can stand before the good king who loves us, not because of what we've done, but because what has been done for us. God speaking to Abimelech in that dream gives us a picture of God's movement towards us, right? Right? God's going to bless all the nations through Abraham. Well, what do we see here? We see God speaking directly to a pagan king. God speaking to those who are far from him, of moving towards them in grace and mercy. And what I love that's fascinating is we see a picture of that grace. Because Abraham has talked about a lot 
throughout the rest of the Bible. It's talked a lot about in the New Testament. And we don't ever see this moment brought up again. We don't ever see this moment held against him. We don't ever see God use this against Abraham. This is a pretty spectacular failure. And yet we don't see this held against Abraham. That God moves towards him in grace and mercy. And when he blots out sin, when he wipes it away, it's gone. It's gone. We make people into heroes. We want people to be heroes. Frankly, we often see ourselves as the hero of our own story, but the reality is we are not our own hero, but we definitely need one. We need a hero. We need to be rescued. We need to be drawn out of the brokenness of life. We need to be drawn out of the mess that we've made of things. And that's hard for some of us to wrestle through, right? Because you're like, well, I'm not a terrible person. Like that sounds like you might, I know there's some people thinking, that sounds really good, Josh. And I know there's people here who are really messed up and really need to hear that. So thank you for saying that. And that's true. This is good news for messed up people. The, The reality is, we're all a little bit more messed up than we think, we're sorry, we're all a lot bit more messed up than we think we are. Because we take matters into our own hands all the time. And it looks different, right? I doubt many of you have lied about your spouse really being your sibling in front of a, a foreign power. I doubt that's happened a lot. It's not a particularly relatable experience. You're not hanging out with friends going, well, one time when I was, you know, in uh, talking with the czar of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Chechnya, I don't know, it's like, uh, I thought my wife was attractive, but I was like, oh, she's actually my sister, and everything was cool. But the idea of trying to shape our narrative to protect ourselves is very real. We want to define ourselves by the things that we value. We want to give ourselves worth by the things that we're good at. What sin is at its core is saying to God, I don't need you to find blank. Fill in the blank to find the thing that you value, to find safety, to find meaning, to find purpose, to find protection, to find joy, to find happiness. It's, God, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. We think we can be the hero of our story. Really, we think that our life is kind of a story about us with us at the center. But the reality is there is a story that's written on our soul and a hero that's baked into our very being. But that's only ever satisfied when we see Jesus for who he is. Every other hero we look to is in some way and at best a partial picture of the perfect hero, of Jesus, of the one who gave of himself. Folks, there's a reason why stories of self-sacrifice are so compelling to us. There's a reason why, right? And if you're my age, if you're like in my demographic, the movies for me are, it's, it's like, Gladiator, right? It's like, oh, that's such a good movie. It's like those stories of self-sacrifice where the hero gives of himself the matrix, where the hero gives of himself. The reason, there's a reason we find those things compelling because the need for a savior is written on our souls. We know in some way we need to be rescued because we can never be good enough on our own. That's why we love stories where people do that. And what I hope you hear is that You're already written into the greatest story of self-sacrifice where God gave of himself through his son that we might be made whole. That's what we want you to know. Abraham's flaws are actually a really valuable part of the story because one of the things they show very, 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 very clearly 
is how God is the hero, right? If we really look at the Bible, we see people do great things, but what we really see is God working through people to do great things. And that should be encouraging. Frankly, seeing that Abraham is like more of a dumpster fire than maybe we want to talk about sometimes is encouraging because it's like, I can relate to that guy. I can't relate to the guy who's amazing and perfect and does everything right. That's not attainable. I've got children. I can't be that guy. I got a daily, I got a daily reminder of my own sin nature. I mean, not like what the stuff they do bad. I mean, the, my lack of patience with things. That is who we are. But the hope as the God has used Abraham is that he, works, he can work in us too. He can work in us too. That's the great encouragement here. If Abraham can fail and he's held up as this incredible example of faith, then how much more is it possible for us to fail? If Abraham's faith can fail him and he is literally used as an example of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, like one of the heroes of the faith, then how much more is it possible for our faith to fail? But the same grace that God shows Abraham, the same love that God shows Abraham, he offers to us too. Jesus is the fullest picture of God's heroness. How do we look to him as our hero and no one else? How do we find our hope in that? We love that heroes can overcome and can endure, that heroes can do these incredible things. But what God says to us is, let me do that in you. You can't ever do that on your own. Let me do that in you. Why don't you bow your heads with me as we close? Father, we thank you for this example. It, it's true for me too, Lord. There are times we can read some stories of people in the Bible and think that's just so unrealistic. Like, I don't know how to be that way. I don't, I don't know how to, to, to do that stuff. Like, I'm not that good because we reduce these heroes to just all good or all bad. But Lord, we're complex people and you meet us in the midst of that complexity. And we thank you for that. Thank you for the example of broken, flawed people, Lord, experiencing your grace and being used by you in powerful ways because that is what we can relate to, that we need you to work in us. We need you to transform us. Lord, we need your hope. We need your goodness. We need your mercy. Thank you that you have sent for us a perfect hero to draw us back to yourself and make us whole. Pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 